An affluent young woman was found dead in her home while her husband was off on a sailing trip. Police uncovered allegations of sex parties and wife swapping. But it was an old movie, an overheard telephone call, and an air conditioner that cracked the case. and Ellen Sherman lived in Niantic, Connecticut for the entire 16 years of their marriage. Ed taught business at a local community college and was a member of Mensa, an organization for people with exceptionally high IQs. Ellen was five and a half months pregnant and worked in the family publishing business. Ellen Sherman was a sweetheart. Everybody that met Ellen just adored her. She had a smile and a friendly uh, hello for everyone. On a Friday night in August of 1985, Ed left for a week-long sailing trip with four friends. They are always fun, and yeah, we always have a great time. And that's great sailing from Maine down. We stop at the, the vineyard in Nantucket and what have you. On Sunday afternoon, two days into the trip, Ed called his pregnant wife to make sure she was okay. After numerous calls went unanswered, Ed contacted Len Fredrickson, a good friend of the couple, and asked him to check on Ellen. I got over there when it was just starting to get dark, and um, I could hear the air conditioner running in the house. The lights were on in the inside and the outside. I checked all the doors. They were locked. It was locked up, which was very strange because they always left the house open. I used to kid Ellen about, you're going to come home some night and there'll be nothing left in your house. No one answered the door, so Fredrickson entered the home through an unlocked window. Inside was the family dog. He called for Ellen, but there was no answer. Upstairs, he opened the bedroom door and found Ellen's lifeless body on the bed. It appeared... At first glance, as if she were the uh, subject of a sexual assault. And her uh, night clothing was on the floor and uh, her underwear and the bedding. Red ligature marks around Ellen's neck indicated strangulation. The medical examiner determined that the murder occurred sometime Saturday night or early Sunday morning based on rigor mortis, the temporary stiffening of the body after death. The lines on her fingernails were evidence they had been bent backwards. Could be because during the strangulation, victim tried to uh, keep themselves uh, free. And meanwhile, tried to struggle with the perpetrator, may scratch the floor. Police found no signs of forced entry, and no valuables were missing, which ruled out robbery. Using a ship-to-shore radio, a policeman gave Ed Sherman the bad news. He talked to him for a while, which I wasn't listening to, but he eventually did hand me the microphone and said, uh, Wayne, take this, it's the police. They said Ellen's been killed. Detective Mike Malchick soon learned that the Shermans' lives were far from ordinary. It was a lifestyle of deception, sex, and intrigue.
medical examiner estimated that Ellen Sherman was murdered sometime over the weekend while her husband was sailing in the Atlantic Ocean with friends. Ed Sherman told investigators that he last spoke with his wife on Friday night from his friend's house. They said that uh, Mr. Sherman did get on the phone when he's telling his wife, go to the bank to make this deposit, um, all these different things. And Ed Sherman was unusually candid about their sex life. had a child and it was his child. The woman was Ed's co-worker, Nancy Prescott. She was very different than Ellen. In fact, Ellen used to refer to her as uh, Ed's valley girl. She was blonde and um, very different looking. Ed wanted an open marriage. He encouraged Ellen to have affairs. And Ed Sherman's lifestyle was unusual in other ways. I remember being at a uh, New Year's Eve party at their house. I believe it was 1984. They had several couples there, and um, I guess they were going to swap partners. I was with a young lady, and Ed asked me if, if I was interested in what I asked the young lady that I was with if she was interested. And uh, I just said, we'll leave, and we did. So Ed was really the one that was pushing that type of situation. Ellen did not want that in her life. Since there were no signs of forced entry, police suspected Ellen may have known her killer. Downstairs to upstairs, everything in proper order. No sign of a ransack or violent struggles. Dr. Henry Lee, at the time, the director of Connecticut's crime lab, was called in to assist investigators. Dr. Lee examined photos of the ligature marks on Ellen Sherman's neck and found a faint pattern. And this pattern is a zizek pattern, which is so unique. Initially, we don't know where they come from. Lee compared this to the clothing found at the scene, including the torn panties. Subsequently, when we start stretching the panty, you can see this zizzard pattern, the space star opening up, and shows identical pattern as what left on the neck. But other evidence showed that Ellen was strangled with bare hands, not the panties. The autopsy revealed the cricoid cartilage in the neck had been fractured, something which cannot be accomplished during ligature strangulation. Dr. Lee believes the killer wrapped the panties around her neck afterwards in order to stage the crime scene to make it look like a sex crime. On the bedsheet under ultraviolet light, was biological evidence investigators hoped would identify the killer. Extremely unusual is the Bashi we found close to 150 to 200 individual semen stamps. Uh, that's a lot of semen stamps. 
This biological evidence was too badly degraded for DNA testing, which meant the material had been there for quite some time and had survived laundering. While searching for suspects, police discovered that Ed's mistress, Nancy Prescott, may have been angry with Ed and Ellen. Ed had recently agreed to end the affair to save his marriage. When Ellen got pregnant, she said, I want you to stay home and be a father to this baby and be there when it's born and give up the girlfriend. So they, they talked it out, and Ed said that he was willing to give up his girlfriend and that he would be a father and a, and a, um, a husband to Ellen. Detectives asked Ed to take a polygraph test. He agreed. The results were inconclusive. And Nancy Prescott had an alibi for the day of the murder. The trail of the killer was starting to turn cold. Mike Malchek had promised Ellen's mother, Rose, that he would stay on the case and that uh, they would find out who did this to her daughter. Then Malchek got lucky. He learned there was a movie that featured a murder identical to Ellen Sherman's. Would this film lead police to the killer? Initially, police didn't consider Ed Sherman a suspect in his wife's murder since he was on a sailboat in the Atlantic Ocean the day she died. This case is in the middle of the ocean. A perfect alibi. A poor witness. Time of the death become very important in many homicide investigations because that result, time of the death, you can impeach a witness statement or suspect statement or collaborate with the suspect statement. However, time of the death is a difficult area. Rigor mortis is one way to estimate the time of death. This is what a body looks like when rigor mortis occurs. A stiffening of the entire body that lasts between 12 and 24 hours after death. When Ellen's body was discovered, it was in the final stages of rigor mortis and becoming more pliable. In looking through the investigator's report, Dr. Lee discovered an important clue. It was something Len Fredrickson said when he found Ellen's body. It was like a, it was like open a freezer almost. The air conditioner was going full blast. The person later described it as uh, being extremely uh, cold in the room, colder than a, a normal person would have their air conditioner on. A freezing cold room, the slow decomposition and the progress of rigor mortis. This meant that Ellen Sherman's murder could have occurred earlier than originally estimated. If Ellen was murdered on Friday night, then Ed Sherman would have had plenty of time to commit the crime. Police also learned 
The Sherman was wearing long pants and a long sleeve shirt on the sailing trip in August. And looking back on it, um, we were all in shorts and t-shirts and he had long pants on and a turtleneck. I never saw him on the boat with short sleeves on. Since Ellen's fingernails had been damaged, police suspected that Ed might have been hiding scratch marks. Ed vigorously denied this and insisted his wife was alive when he left. He said he even spoke to her from his friend's home by telephone in front of witnesses. If true, Ed couldn't have been the killer. But Ed wasn't the only one listening in to that conversation. His friend's daughter was too. She picked up and was getting ready to make a call, I guess. He said, well, I heard Mr. Sherman talking uh, on the phone. And she says, well, I was on the other end. It was just ringing and ringing. And I heard him saying, I love you too. And there was nobody there. And they said, why didn't you hang up? And she said, well, I thought it was very unusual because he was talking to a ringing phone. It's five minutes after he leaves his house, he fakes a phone call to his wife. I mean, that's hard to explain. Uh, little did he know that, uh, you know, some nine-year-old girl was going to uh, bring him down. He wasn't as smart as he thought he was. And there was another interesting development. A witness told police that she had run into Ed on the morning of his sailing trip. During the conversation, Ed recommended she watch a movie he particularly enjoyed called Blackout. In the film, a man kills his wife and children, puts the bodies inside the house, then manipulates the crime scene in order to fool forensic scientists and mask the true time of death. The air conditioning system in the house was turned on, apparently to slow the decomposition of the bodies. Was it possible that Ed did the same thing? Friends say he displayed a morbid fascination about details of his wife's murder. He asked me once, he asked me 10 times, do you know if they've determined the time of death? He was very interested in, in that. He also asked me one time if I knew how a body decomposed. I thought that was a very strange question. I said, no. Truth is absolutely stranger than fiction. I mean, there are so many things that happen in real life that there's no need to make anything up. I mean, it's awful. Police and prosecutors alike wondered what motivated Ed Sherman to kill his wife. Despite the apparent reconciliation, friends say Ellen decided she wanted a divorce. Since Ellen was the majority owner of the family business, she allegedly told Ed that she would leave him with almost nothing. And Ellen said he can have his girlfriend and his, and his sailboat, and that's it. So I said to her, I said, are you sure this is what you want to do? She says, I can't live like this anymore. She says, he's never going to be a husband and a father to our children. He's always going to have this double life. Prosecutors believe that Ed Sherman carefully planned his wife's murder. The couple had a light dinner and then 
While Ellen was changing her clothes in the bedroom, prosecutors say Ed strangled her to death. The forensic evidence shows that Ellen was dead before Ed wrapped the panties around her neck to make the murder appear to be a sex crime. Inspired by the movie Blackout, he set the air conditioner to its coldest setting, closed the door, and left for the sailing trip around 7 p.m. Later that night, to cement his alibi, he staged the call to his wife in front of his friends, not knowing his friend's daughter was listening in. Sherman called Len Fredrickson from the sailboat on Sunday evening, asking him to check on his wife, hoping the cold temperature of the bedroom would mask the true time of death, just like the movie. It fooled forensic scientists, but only for a while. Of course, witness play an important factor. The first person discovered the body, feel the temperature cold. The young lady listen on the phone. Of course, no, he's lying. By signs, we feel the gap. Shows something is impossible. The time of the death Sunday is impossible. Then we show what's more probable by Friday. Then we show the weapon and the motive. He almost got away, very close. Detective Malchik arrested Ed Sherman for murder. He knew that I knew that uh, he was the one that uh, had murdered his wife. And when he saw me, uh, he looked at me and I just walked in. I was the first one in and uh, he looked over and I said, uh, Ed, it's time. And he turned white, he started to sweat and uh, he knew it was time. And the forensic evidence mattered most to jurors. During deliberations, they asked to hear again the testimony of Dr. Lee and the medical examiner, particularly on the time of death. One of the jurors said that it boiled down to the, to the fact that they figured he had the time and the, and the, the opportunity and the motive. Six years after his wife's death, the jury found Ed Sherman guilty of first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to 50 years in prison. While Ed Sherman never admitted guilt, he did show some remorse. He said she deserved a better lifestyle, and then he apologized for leading such an indulgent lifestyle. And uh, then he said, I do not know who killed Ellen. After spending only three years in prison, Ed Sherman died of a heart attack at the age of 52. He was a very bright individual, high IQ, and liked to make people know that he was smarter than you. That's the way he made me feel. And I've heard the same from other people. Uh, Ed thought he could have whatever Ed wanted. But Sherman was not smarter than the detectives and scientists who investigated the case. In all my years of doing this, I've never seen a case where a body was placed in an air-conditioned room and it was turned up uh, to the maximum degree uh, to apparently throw off the time of death. This case demonstrates how important the 
lynching work. To tax it, witness, scientists, will you work together? Did not give up. 